Hello and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast, where we seek to inspire and equip you to bring your parish from maintenance to mission. My name's Dan O'Rourke, and in studio today, I've got my friend, Father James Mallon. It's good to see you, Father James. Dan, it's good to be here. And I'm bringing back an oldie but a goodie, an oldie but a goodie, Rob Curry. Who are you calling old? <laughs> <laughs> now, Rob, you've been on the podcast before, but it's actually been quite a, quite a while since we've had you on as one oh, of our hosts. Uh, yeah, it was, I think, last summer, in fact. Has anything happened since then? Probably uh, not. No, we, we, t- we, took, uh, we took a break. <laughs> we thought we couldn't do it without you. But no, thank you so much for coming back. It's great to have you back on. Oh, my pleasure. And you picked a good day to come back, Rob, because actually we've got someone who's very special to this ministry and someone who's very special to St. Benedict Parish joining us as a guest. So along with us today, and I think, uh, I'm not sure exactly what what what, uh, what location he's in, so we can, we can start with that question, but we've got Brent Dolfo, who's a church consultant, uh, and he's also been, been part of the, he's been part of the growth and experience of what happened at St. Benedict, especially in the early days. So Brent, thank you for joining us. Great to be with you, and I'm uh, I'm joining you today from uh, Langley, British Columbia, a suburb of Vancouver. Excellent. So the other side of the country, that's uh, what, four time zones away from where we are. So it's it's great to have you alongside us, Brent. Now, Brent, you and Father James actually know each other. You guys go back a little bit of a, a little ways, don't you? Yeah, we do. We we go back a long ways, actually. So so, I, Father James, what's what, what's some of the history? How did this? How did this? Well, uh, I, I have to tell you that my my. First impression of Brent was actually not very, very positive. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully we're off to a better start. <laughs> he facilitated a, 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 a session with a small group of church leaders around our vision for Alpha, and he made me draw pictures. And I was like, oh, no, I hate doing this. They but very good. <laughs> <laughs> but that, the picture we drew, if, if people have uh, watched some, some of the talks that we've given and, uh, around the development of St. Benedict Parish, it was the actual drawing that we drew almost nine years ago. And the question was, what is your vision for Alpha in your church? And it's the famous uh, picture of the, the, the handle of the pump being an Alpha mm-hmm. symbol. It's, for those watching on video, we've got it on the screen. And the guy I was working with, you know, we, we both had, a, had some insight into this. I said how Alpha is pumping people from outside the church and from within the church into a discipleship process and he he had an image of a church building filling up with water and when the water level reached the windows exploding outward to flood the city and so we really had a, a vision of alpha as as the primary tool to 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 make form equip and send disciples mm-hmm. in a way that would impact the 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 city of halifax and back then i remember being very nervous around even claiming that our vision would be that big, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking just just last week I was in Paris and in one of my talks I actually showed that picture. And and I, I got quite emotional because it was just, it was absolutely bizarre because we, I was there showing them this picture and right before my talk there had been a panel discussion with three priests, three key guys who are innovating and I was following about 80% of the conversation in French but they were talking about Halifax, Halifax, Halifax. And here from that vision, way back, drawing that picture, we, you know, God was able to take that and impact far beyond um, the city of Halifax. So that was quite extraordinary. So, so Brent, you've been, uh, uh, you've helped to facilitate that from, from the very beginning of, of uh, St. Benedict Parish. Well, I have to throw in that that picture, I mean, it's appeared on this podcast, I know that, and it's appeared around the world clearly because at the Divine Renovation Con- uh, Conference, Last year, people were treating that picture as if it was an icon. You know, they're like, I, I want to see the picture. You know, take me to the office, and they were praying in front of it. It was, it was great. 
<laughs> yeah, we actually have the, we printed off a copy of the picture and framed it. And it's, it, there, there are three pictures in the room at St. Benedict where, where they, they have the senior leadership team meetings. There, there's a picture of the original vision mm-hmm. of the alpha question mark and the, the, the church with the exploding windows. There's a picture of Les Moore. Who is the? He was the, the the very embodiment of the less is more principle, and he was a race car driver from the 1940s or something. Is and his name was Les Moore, so we framed it, and he's up on the wall. And then there was the famous napkin that was drawn by Sandy Miller, the 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 former pastor of Holy Trinity Brompton, the Anglican Church that started Alpha. And Sandy really was just an incredible leader, and about. Seven years ago, I, I had an opportunity to go for lunch with him, and I left with the napkin. It's got a coffee stain on it and a whole bunch of squiggles. I have no idea what they represent, but I remember that lunch. It was it was highly impactful on the vision of St. Benedict. So those three pictures appear on the wall. What I love is, is, is Brent, that you're, you're, you're clearly, you're so part of the fabric of, of, of divine renovation that here we are. It's like, you barely had a chance to say three words. <laughs> and we've just been talking about all of the ways that there's connections. Now, what I know about you, Brent, is that you, you have a real passion for coming along senior leaders and their organizations, that you've got a passion for coaching. But help me understand, why do you do some of the things that you do? Yeah, I sometimes use my picture, if I would have my picture on the wall, would be uh, my fruit grows on other people's trees. Hmm. And so what really I uh, seek to do is just, I don't know if I would use the picture in the New Testament of more of a Barnabas coming alongside uh, high capacity people and try to add value to help them uh, at times that they get stuck or need to know what's next or need to figure out how to get around a particular corner. And I think the Father James and uh, my story kind of picks up on that. Uh, one day, uh, I got a call from a mutual friend of ours who had, uh, I, uh, Father James tells his story better than I do, uh, had just, I think, met Father James either going into the bathroom or coming out of the bathroom and uh, had sort of had a moment where Father James was kind of, I, I think, a bit overwhelmed with all the fruit and ministry that was happening at Saint, uh, at the parish and wanting to know, how do I survive all of this amazing thing that God is doing? And, and our mutual friend, uh, John, said, let me send you Brent and uh, let, let, let him come out for a few, a few days and help you talk out your confusion, look at your situation, your structure, where you're going. And uh, um, it was it, to me, as I look back at it, I was a little bit like Jethro, Moses's father-in-law, when um, Moses uh, was overwhelmed with all the ministry happening. And, and uh, Jethro said to Moses, what you are doing is not good. <laughs> and uh, I got to have a few days with Father James to say, Father James, what you're doing is not good. We've got to do it a different way if you're going to survive all the opportunities God's bringing your way. So it was an amazing time to to come alongside, to be able to just kind of maybe nudge and prod in a little bit in some ways we could do things differently in order to um, kind of launch what was in Father James's heart, which was divine renovations. And so it was a privilege to just uh, come alongside again for a season to kind of help uh, think that through a little bit with them. Yeah, I, re- I remember that very, very, very well. And by the way, it wasn't, it was neither going into the bathroom or coming out. It was actually more <laughs> awkward than that. It was one of those uh, at the urinal things, uh, which was a bit awkward. I was trying to be more gracious. Than but the, 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 con- the conversation actually blossomed at the hand basin where we were washing our hands, uh, which was a little less awkward. But it was it was a, 
it was a connection that that ended up um, uh, making a big difference. I remember one of the things, Brent, that you said. You you came out. You 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 spent time with every single member of the staff. And the next day, you said, "Father James, I see that your 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 ministry, your life is like this big." house that you had a you had an initial house and you added on a, an extension then another one yeah. and another one and another one and it's a big ugly kind of house with all of these things that have been added on without being intentional about it and you really challenged us to bring these two worlds together the world of of the the media work we were doing and the the traveling yes. and the speaking and the life of the parish and if anything that's exactly what divine renovation became mm. and so you really challenged us to do that that was one thing. Another thing was that you challenged us to think about restructuring uh, our staff because our staff had grown from, I mean, I think when I arrived at the parish, we had six staff, including the clergy, to almost at that point having like 18 or, 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 or something. And we, and we had a pretty flat organization to bring in kind of a middle management role. And you were also in, integral in helping us to get Ron back on the team because Ron yeah. had been on the team mm. part-time because he had another job, but... We had to, I, I like to joke with Ron and say we had to fire him because he was so successful. He had grown alpha in that ministry that it was way too big. And, and we were able to bring him back on. So, and that opened up a whole new chapter in the life of the parish. Yeah, I think one of the, the things that we really worked on at that time was the concept that you're doing a great job now of promoting all around the world of a leadership team. That uh, a single leader by themselves creates mismanagement because they have certain things they're great at and certain things that they're not so good at. And um, you need a team of people around you that really complement you as the leader. And, you know, one of the things, Father James, you're really great at is, is more of, uh, if you're using a business term, an entrepreneurial leader or an apostolic evangelist, you're always loving to live in the future and create. And sometimes the things you created, uh, you weren't wired. God didn't put in you to be a manager. And so to bring some people that could manage the things that you had started to create a complementary team, I think that's one of the key principles of a high-performing organizations. Uh, they have a complementary team that can really take the different pieces from design to implementation to management uh, and do a good job with that. And I think that's one of the things that you were able to take some of those ideas and put a great team together that allowed that to happen. Yeah. So... From what I understand, Brett, you're you're so focused on leadership, and I know Father James is one of the leaders you've you've worked with. But how how would you define leadership, and why would it matter? Why does it matter? Well, I, I think you guys would all agree with me. There's different kinds of leaders. You know, there's thought leaders that they lead the way in, in terms of ideas, um, and uh, there are leaders in different domains of society, whether it's business or academia. There's all kinds of different kind of leaders. Really, what we're talking about is what is a spiritual leader. Mm. And um, um, one of the things, though, I would like to, the way I'd like to think about it, is spiritual leaders actually spend time with God. They spend time in the scriptures, they hear from God, uh, and they're able to bring that, that with them as they lead people. Because you can be in the church and be a leader, but not a spiritual leader. Or you can be a very spiritual person, and we know lots of people like that, but aren't really great at leading. So you're really trying to bring those two worlds together. And in terms of spiritual leadership, you know, great spiritual leaders, you know, the bedrock of that is always, I have a vision of a preferred future that, that creates passion and energy for others. And so I may have, 
I may have a great passion for children. And I'm able to say to people, do you realize between the ages of two and 18 are the most formative periods of someone's life for faith formation? Most people that continue with great faith through their years, they have an amazing experience as a kid. And so would you like to join me in shaping the next generation of people uh, that they would have a spiritual framework for their life and that they would know Jesus? Well, then that's someone who's very much interested in children. But great leaders always have a vision of something that they want to see God do, and they are able to uh, um, compel with that vision others to join them in that mission uh, to move something or move the needle for the kingdom. And I think that's where great spiritual leadership starts. I spend time with God. I hear from God. I have a vision from God, and now I'm compelled to to bring others along with me uh, in accomplishing what God's told me I need to be doing. Rob, you're you're one of the leaders at St. Benedict Parish, uh, and and you you in point of fact you you're, you're leading a number of different things in, at the parish, and you've historically been part of a number of things at the parish. How do you understand your leadership in in that space? Because we've got lots of lay leaders uh, that l- would listen to this podcast. It's funny, you know, the the thing that's always struck me the most is the concept of servant leadership, you know, which is so central uh, to what we do. And I feel like I've been invested in. Uh, by the culture at St. Benedict Parish. But that's, I really feel that's the way it's empowered me, you know, that I'm able to look at the people who I'm on team with or teams that I'm leading or, uh, or you know, the leadership group that I happen to be in at a given moment, and I'm able to move my mind from a kind of a hierarchical leadership mindset, which is, you know, very much part of the world and it's part of my, my professional world, to a, uh, to a God-inspired group dynamic that I know it's got to be healthy. And one thing that's very much imbued in the culture of St. Benedict is what healthy leadership and healthy culture looks like. And it sounds like that was the moment that, that you were having when Brent first came on board, Father James. Things were, were going well. God had you know, pushed this great capacity into us, and yet there, wasn't, there were parts that were unhealthy because of the, the big push that was on to get so much done. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of things that were unhealthy. <laughs> that's, that, that's the thing. And... and uh, you know, I, I like to use the analogy of a, of a car. I mean, every car needs a gas pe- pedal. You need a brake. You need a steering wheel, and you need uh, a gearbox. And um, a car with just a gas pe- pedal is not that great. Um, and I was that was kind of like that. That was more my my focus. And and so you know, leadership needs management, and management needs leadership. There's a healthy t- tension there. And and so we were out of whack. Uh, there was a lot of fruit. Uh, but the, the structure wasn't sustainable. Uh, and, and if you're not healthy physically or it can lead to not being healthy emotionally and, 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 and spiritually as well. And so there was, there was certainly an, an overflow that was happening there. So, yeah, we needed to uh, have that corrected and adjusted. Well, right. Some of it's the gap, sorry, Dan, but some of it's the gap between the idea of serving others and serving the mission. You know, when I, when I come at the idea of servant leadership, that's really where I live now. I understand my... My job, my task is to is to serve the mission, and that shapes and changes the way you interact with others. I think I would manage people differently in a workplace than I that I interact with them uh, in a leadership capacity at the church because it's about the mission. We all need to be rowing the same way, or otherwise the boat's just going around in circles. Yeah, Brent, when you step into a relationship with a church that that's looking for for your help or support. What are, what are some of the things that you, you really want to speak into around leadership when you start with them? You know, I think the first thing that I really want to know is I want to know what is in the heart of 
the leader? What what has God put in there that they're trying to get out and and get done, and um and really find out uh, a couple of things is tell me about the last couple of years and what's been that what's that like you know what has God blessed uh, where's your pain points uh, where are the blockages and let's uh, imagine what it would be like five years from now if all the things God put on your heart could come true. And let's work towards how would we get that done and, and looking at where the gaps and challenges are. And one of the things that I've discovered in um, a local church context, and I'm not speaking about just failing churches or struggling churches. I'm talking about good churches, growing churches, is there's a lack of focus on reproduction of spiritual leaders. And let me just give you an example of this from Jesus's life. I often ask people, you know, did Jesus have more opportunities to minister to the masses than he took? Well, Absolutely. yes, he often withdrew from the crowds. Um, and one of the things that I think Jesus was really focused on is from the start of his ministry, he had to the end, he had three years. And if people can uh, begin to imagine that I have a limited time in the role that I have, what do I need to do to make sure what God's put on my heart to do is sustainable on the long term? And so you'll see Jesus choosing 12 men to invest his life in. And so it's interesting in Matthew chapter 9, uh, he, the great comment he makes when he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest field because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So Jesus saw that there were more spiritual needs in our world that he could ever handle. And so he asked the Father to pray for that. But in chapter 10, verse 1, you'll see this. He gathered the 12 to them and gave them instructions on ministry assignments. Uh, and then you see in the later in the chapter, he gathers them back to teach them and to continue to equip them. And picking up, you know, he was trying to serve them to get them to be able to do what he did. And I think that's the biggest challenge in ministry is how do you live uh, like you're um, a hockey team trying to win today and yet have the personnel that you can win tomorrow? And oftentimes in church world, we're so busy with today, we're not investing in the leaders so that they could actually do what we do. And so spiritual multiplication is really important. So if you go to Matthew 28, 18 and 20, the Great Commission, when Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, he was speaking to his disciples and he wasn't saying, go spiritually form people. He said, it's actually bigger than that. He said, you are now the spiritual leaders. I, I work with you over the lifetime of ministry to make you into a spiritual leader. And now you go make other people spiritual leaders that can do the same things that we're doing together. And so that's the key thing I think that most uh, growing organizations miss is the development of spiritual leaders that can multiply the mission. How does, how, how would someone even get started on something like that, Brent? Like, what are some of the things that, you know, we got lots of leaders listening. What are some of the things they should actually do? Yeah. If you think about it, our Western uh, liberal Western model of education says this, um, if you go to university or you go sit under a teacher, you'll be, you'll be by the time you end, you'll be a leader. And um, I like to think of it this way. I have a son of mine who's in the trades. And so he's a sprinkler fitter. So all the kind of fire protection systems we see in buildings uh, and their model of learning is this, go spend 5,600 hours 
with a master craftsman, watching how he does it, having him help you learn how to do it, doing it together, him allowing you to do it and him giving you instructions. And at the end of that 5,600 hours with just four five-week blocks on code, you can be a master craftsman too. And that's what Jesus did. That was the master craftsman of crafting leaders was watching him do it. So I think a great models of learning is what I call the apprenticeship model, which is I do, you watch, we talk. Then the next phase is I do, you help, we talk. The third phase is you're gonna do it, I'm gonna watch, we're gonna talk. And then I know you can do it because you've watched me do it. So a good example is if you lead a connect group, if you wanna create a new connect group leader, uh, ask somebody if they'd love to do it and lead a group and then apprentice them into it. So in a, a connect group, you have to do a number of things well. You probably have to do welcome really well. Make sure everybody feels welcome, that they're that everybody's included. You're going to have to lead some degree of some content piece, whether that's provided by, for you or it's... Uh, uh, and then you're going to have to know how to lead that. You're going to have to know how to do prayer really well. Like, how do I get people to pray and become community? And in some models... How do we do mission? How do we get people to become invitational? How do we think outside of ourselves? So the best way to learn how to do that would be alongside somebody who is a great small group leader. You watch them how they do it. Then you help, uh, they help you do it. And then you do it, they do it, and you actually give them feedback. So at the end of that apprenticeship process, they know they can do it because they actually did it. You know they do it because you actually saw them do it and they're ready to go, which is different than a model of leadership development says, go to a class, now you'll be able to do it. Yeah. <clears throat> so really developing the idea that every leader needs an apprentice leader, that they're getting them ready to be able to do what they did. Mm. And if you did that, if every leader in a parish uh, that was in any area of ministry uh, had an apprentice, you know, two years from now, that parish will have double the number of leaders that it did than before. Right. So helping people learn how to do that is amazing. It, it sounds like uh, much of what you're talking about is really creating a, a culture of leadership. Uh, we, we speak a lot about culture and, and Rob, you, you kicked off uh, some, some con- conversation there about what, well, you know, the St. Benedict culture, the kind of culture that we've built at, at our parish mm-hmm. uh, at St. Benedict parish. Um, but what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing you say, Brent is, is very much along those lines. Like it's, it's not just about a thing we do, but it's, it, it's about a kind of a culture that we build. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. You you know, I think of what you need to do in a parish is you're trying to create the, uh, you're trying to increase the number of people who own the mission and vision of Jesus and the mission and vision of the parish. And um, that's done in many ways. It can be envisioned in a lot of different environments, but at some point you want to have people be owners with you. In other words, I own this connect group. I love small group and I uh, now I'm going to help you figure out how you can lead your own group. And really, that's what Jesus did. He, you know, he when he called the disciples to him, he this was in Matthew 419. He said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. <clears throat> so there's a relational component. Come follow me. Kind of watch how I do it. Um, and I will make you fishers of men. And so we're really trying to increase the number of people that own, own our own our mission and rem- can do what we do. I remember two two different distinct memories of my of my my time as a pastor. One is and I'm sure those who are listening would recognize this is when 
someone in your church comes up to you and says, Father, um, I can no longer do this ministry anymore, so I'm giving it back to you. Good luck. <laughs> and it's like, well, it wasn't my ministry to begin with. Or, and a, 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 there's a similar dynamic when people, you know, when you ask someone to step up and they say, well, I'll do it for you. Don't do it for that's me. Right. That's, that's yeah. not a good reason. But there was that experience, and I think everyone who's worked in a church has experienced that. It's like, now what, what do I do? I have to go out and try to find someone else to do this. Mm. The, the person has never really owned the ministry. They've been doing it as a favor. And then I think that's of right. the kind of experience we had in the latter years at the parish where people would come forward and say, Father, I, I, I no longer feel called to lead this ministry or I'm no longer able to lead it because of a change in my life. But I've been mentoring mm. this person uh, for the last two years, and they're, they've already been doing 80% of the role over the last six months. I'm confident in them. It's in good shape. Don't worry. Those are two very, very different experiences. And uh, it would be great to say that every single one of the 60 or so ministries at St. Benedict Parish were, were running like that. But I, I think that it was more common than not. Oh, yeah. One thing it points to is the importance of developing people's own talents and strengths, you know, and, and that's one thing that's that's really worked so well. And, and just, it, you know, Brent, you bringing up the Gospels makes me think about Jesus doing that. You know, the obvious ones like, Peter, I'm, I'm going to build this church on you. And uh, even there's a suggestion in John that Judas got to hold the purse. And that didn't go very well, of course. <laughs> but clearly there's evidence there that he was, he was developing the talent among those people. And that certainly is something that had a big impact on me. Because at St. Benedict, we've been using tools that help people, uh, you know, realize their own talents. Because it can be one thing to say, what do you think you're good at? And it might take me 10 minutes to come up with a couple of things, and I might be wrong about it. Mm. But having actual tools designed by experts in, in personality assessment and so on, that's been really meaningful for so many, I think. Brent, is that something that you use with uh, with parishes that you work with, with churches that you work with? Yeah, and, and I've used this uh, with the St. Benedict's parishes. You know, I, I'm a, a Berkman guy. I love the Berkman assessment tool. There's lots of great assessment tools uh, out there. Uh, but you have to help people. There's a couple of things. Um, you have to help people. You, sometimes you have to believe in people more than they believe in themselves because they see, uh, like, why I shouldn't do this, like why I would be terrible at this. And so I, I think when you're asking someone to kind of step into leadership, there's a couple of things you have to do really well. You have to explain the why. Like, what's the critical importance of this ministry that... Um, because people have to own the vision. The second thing you have, so the first thing is why. The second thing is why me? Like, why would you ask me to step up into leadership? I have to believe in them sometimes more than they believe in themselves. And then thirdly, I have to be explained the process. Here's how I'm gonna help you learn how to lead. And, and then fourthly, you just need to say, will you pray and see if God's put this vision on your heart to wanna invest your life in moving the needle in this area and and you feel ready to kind of jump into a process with me where I'm going to teach you all how to do everything. So as Father James said, when someone has to transition out or you have to double the size of something, you have ready people that are ready to go that own the mission, have been invested in and uh, feel like this is their time because they're ready to go. So I know, Brent, you work with both Catholic and non-Catholic churches. Isn't that right? 
Yes, I've done. I've done. <laughs> I've worked with churches across a lot of different traditions. Yes. Well, let me ask you this: even Luther, even, Luther, even Lutherans and Anglicans. <laughs> <laughs> so we, I mean, we, we our audience for this podcast, I would say, is the majority is certainly Catholic. Although we yeah. do have people from other traditions that that tend to tune in. Uh, given that you get you, you have a foot in both worlds and, and your experience uh, crosses those worlds, could you, can you help me understand what do you f- find in the Catholic world? that is perhaps a little bit more unique or, or different than some of the things you might see in non-Catholic churches? Yeah, one of the things that is unique, and I certainly am not meaning to be critical by any statement that I would make, but the, the formation of priests uh, is done very differently, or spiritual leaders of congregations done very differently than many traditions. And, um, you know, in my observation would be, uh, if we go back to, you know, Ephesians and the fivefold ministry gifts of apostles, uh, prophets, teachers, shepherds, um, uh, the, the lack, let's say, of apostolic evangelists, perhaps within the Catholic tradition, is more stark than some others. And um, I really believe that, um, you know, you have a lot of great shepherds within the Catholic tradition uh, that do a really good job caring for, for their, their people. Um, and oftentimes, however God's gifted you, you need complementary people around you. So if I was a priest that was mainly a shepherd, like that's where my heart was and my gifts were, I'd be wanting to build a leadership team that had some people that were evangelists and apostolic great leaders that could come alongside me and complement me, um, because you do need a complementary uh, team. And so I think, you know, like many have said, I think a lot rises and falls on leadership. And... Um, and so again, um, I would say in some traditions that apostolic evangelist has been promoted and valued and nurtured more than perhaps in a Catholic context. And I, I, th- I would I would entirely agree with that, Brent. I think it's a part of the the Christendom model of church that that when you had um, an expression of faith that was that was largely not largely cultural, but it was very much embedded in the culture that yeah. there, there, there wasn't a significant departure you know between between the two that mission territory was was enough was seen to be in a faraway land that's right and so there was there was no one to reach so what do you require of church leaders to shepherd the flock and to teach the flock and so you had um, a a focus on you know uh, kind of a a therapeutic model of pastoral care you know ministering the sacraments and and preaching and teaching these, this is what was required. And in many ways, our, our seminaries and our houses of, of formation, not just in the Catholic tradition, but a lot of the mainline churches yes. that come out of a, a, a Christendom model of church, we're still struggling with this core model. We're still struggling because we're, we're, we continue to prepare um, ordained leaders in this model, uh, but, that, but that church actually no longer exists. And so it, there's, a, there's, a great, there's a great tension there. Right, right now, and I think uh, from the time of the Reformation, that that kind of uh, reforming impulse uh, was kind of split off from the, you know, from the the institutional dimension of the church, and so you had a you, you had a, a, a kind of a ghettoizing of the apostolic evangelistic functions or impulse, <clears throat> and I think what we need today is is to you know is to bring them together again. Yeah, I think I think you well stated that, and and there are those that are, you know, for example, last week, well, two days ago, I was with a, a Lutheran church uh, from Phoenix, 
And um, they were telling me the story. It was really interesting that, um, and they're from the Missouri Senate, that in the old days, you know, 100 years ago, they were planting a new church every day. You know, that was sort of the, the rally cry of, of them. And they're trying to, you know, go back to that story of the original roots to say, you know, as you've said, the culture has shifted. There are, there are more people to reach than there are people that have been reached. And so it needs a new kind of story that will capture the hearts and minds and imagination of their people, um, just like you've tried to do uh, at the parish there. And so uh, the right kind of spiritual gift mix, uh, you need all those five you know, ministry gifts, but you really do need um, a nurturing and reemergence of that apostolic evangelist gifting. And I think there's lots of great stories within the Catholic tradition of that, it's just rediscovering that story uh, in, in a new way. I, I think the challenge in the in the Catholic tradition is that <clears throat> in the past, if you were, if you had this kind of gifting, uh, you were probably more inclined to join what what one of the religious orders. Religious I mean, orders, the, yes. the Dominicans, their proper name is the Order of Preachers. So, guess what? Evangelistic. If you had an, an evangelistic charism, you probably became a Dominican. If if um, if you were called to a life of intercession and prayer, maybe you had a monastic vocation. If you were apostolic, maybe you joined the Jesuits. You know, to they were always pu- pushing the limits and the boundaries and doing new things. And I think in in contemporary times, especially with the awakening of the of the of the vocation of the baptized, we see this in the movements. You know, so in the non-Catholic world, we speak of you know parachurch uh, organizations, but in the Catholic Church, it's it's these renewal movements which, thanks be to God, have 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 existed and flourished because that's where a lot of the new life has come into the church. Yeah. Whereas the parish system often has been moribund, uh, and because it's 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 <clears throat> it's held in place with this, uh, not just with with leaders who are shepherd teachers, but a, a culture that rewards that and presumes it as well. And so it's yeah. been unable to break out. And certainly the, the passion of divine renovation as a ministry is, is not simply the, the renewal of the church as a whole, but principally the parish system. How do we, yeah. in a sense, bring what has worked in the movements into the life of the parish? Yep, well said. It's really created a connection, too, between what successive popes have been telling us about, the new evangelization, the most pressing need you know, identified decades ago, and yet it was never going to happen unless it was put in the hands of the laity, unless, you know, lay people were able to, to take up their own gifts or evangelization. Well, how would you guys see that? Let me, let, let, let's, let, uh, let me pose it as a question because I think it's a, a fascinating point, Rob. Is how, how did the laity fit into all of this? I mean, you know, Father James, you're talking about... Well, the, the church would look p- pretty stupid without the laity. But remember, we've inherited a vocabulary that, you know, we used to say, you know... But, about 100 years ago, if you got ordained, you joined the church. Mm. I thought that's what happened when you get baptized. You know, but th- that was the language that, that we actually use. And m- my conviction today is that the average mainline church, the average Catholic parish and in, in, in some other some churches from other traditions are probably functioning at about a, a 3 to 5% capacity because the, the giftings of, of the laity have, have not been harvested. They haven't been um, set, set free. 
Well, isn't the isn't the model very much one where, where our lady are, are, are acting more as frankly consumers rather than leaders? And so when I when I, I hear you speak, Brent, I, I I hear this this call of well, how do we how do we activate some of these leaders? What, how do we build a culture of leadership? So what help me understand what what does a, what does a healthy church look like with with lady and leadership roles? And what what does it function like? Can I just uh, interject a couple of things? One of the great uh, scarcity is the mother of all invention. And I think um, one of the great problems, you know, the Catholic churches face is a lack of priests. So in the old days, maybe you could staff your way out of any sort of problem and just have the laity, you know, real separation there. Now, uh, there's no other option than for priests to invest in the laity and develop spiritual leaders. And priests have a great tradition of learning to be a spiritual person. Um, and if they can continue to bring that to laity, help the laity be spiritual person, people, but also teach them how to lead uh, and apprentice them into that process, that's the only way forward yeah. uh, is you're focusing on the development of your, your laity or your volunteer leaders. Mm. And it, it's interesting because I, I think of how common it is, because uh, as you say, I, as you say, spiritual leadership, it evokes an incorrect image in my mind about how we always turn to the priest when it's so, someone's turn to pray. Mm. Right? <laughs> it's like, okay, it's yeah. prayer time, Father. Yeah. Well, well, lead us and, in a prayer. And I always resisted that, especially at parish get gatherings where they would say, well, wait, someone has to say grace. Father, will you say grace? I'd always say, no, that's not in my job description as a priest. Say, say grace yourself. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to reward that. I don't want to model that, that the only person who can pray publicly is the priest. <clears throat> so... And yet, it, for so many, it is sort of the default position. The only one who's allowed to lead in prayer is is, is the cleric. Yeah, but yeah, but that has to do with that's part of the disease of clericalism, which basically mm. says the only mature Christian is the ordained or vowed religious, and and a, a clerical system thrives on that because you have the exaltation of the of of the ordained and and the infantilization of the of the la- laity. And Very the irony so. is that that I'm called father. And yet, my position is only secure if I can uh, maintain the the um, immaturity of the believers. And yet, that's what became normalized culturally. I mean, I grew up in a, a you know a pretty typical maritime Catholic culture where you know you went to church, you know you did that part, but the people who did the religion part were the priests. Yeah. And and Lord and normal Catholics just didn't just you didn't take it that seriously. Not really. You don't no. actually live your life as if it's actually true. My goodness, that would be weird and you'd have to become a yeah. If you did that, you'd have to become a priest because only priests kind of do, do that. <laughs> and that, that's that, that that's one of the core problems that that we have. Uh, I remember in the first year at Saint Benedict Parish, we did the ME twenty five. Um, we we use that tool, and and that's a tool that's put out by Gallup to measure engagement. And in a sense, it's it, it's 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 taking your vitals and. One of the areas of weakness was a question that, that went like this. The, the spiritual leaders of my parish seemed to care about me as a person. It was our lowest score. I didn't take it personally because we, I had just been there for a few months. But what, it, what, we, what we realized is that, is that we began to ha- have uh, focus groups to explore this question. And we, uh, we had confirmed for us what we had uh, thought was the, what was the issue, is that when you ask people, who is this, who's this the spiritual leader, it was me. And of course, that would be okay if we were a church of 40 people. I could have a personal relationship with everyone, but not in a church of this size. And we realized that in the early years, we need to change people's understanding of what a spiritual leader is. The fact that we're surrounded by spiritual leaders, and that's exactly what we did by beginning to profile people in their roles in ministries and how they were leading and help 
help awaken people to the idea that you, you, you don't just have to be a scheduler. Mm. You're actually called to be a leader. Uh, but that took a lot of time and effort to really begin to invest in developing this culture of leadership. Let me jump in on a little bit too, is um, one of the classic business books um, um, that was written on leadership development is Leadership Pipeline. Uh, and that's a, some people don't like that language, spiritual pathway or leadership pathway. Uh, but, but the idea here is um, you have to define what a great spiritual leader looks like in your context. And usually at every parish or church, there's multiple layers of leaders. You know, there's people that lead a small group of people, maybe eight to ten. Then there's somebody who leads a, a group of people that are leading you know, that groups of eight to 10. And so usually everyone has four or five levels of leadership all the way up to, let's say, the senior lead leadership team. I always recommend to people that they need to define what are the characteristics that make great leaders at each level of the pipeline or pathway. And I tell you why. You cannot reproduce something unless you know what you're trying to reproduce. Mm -hmm. If you want to have some great people that are leading small groups across your church of ministries, you need to identify four or five key characteristics that you wish you could multiply in all of them. So what I usually suggest to people is find, find your five best leaders and put their names up on a, a whiteboard and have a conversation that says, what makes them great? Yeah. If we could clone these people, we'd want a hundred of them. Mm -hmm. Well, what's true about their lives that make them great spiritual leaders? They usually come in the area of something spiritual about them. There's some spiritual formation things that are true. There's some um, alignment to Jesus and his mission that is true. But there's also some skills that are really true. And begin to identify what those are and then begin to think about how do I multiply those characteristics into the life of all my leaders? Because I always say, people always ask the question, are, are leaders born or made? You know, were they just born with their naturalness and they're just, you know, or, or were they made? The answer is both. They were born, but they were also shaped. Yep. So you can shape and build into people and, and teach them how to lead uh, in a way that multiplies your influence. But if you don't do that, then everybody builds with a different picture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you get uh, chaos as one part of the, the parish is building leaders that look like this and other people are building leaders that look like that. I often say that 80% of what a great leader needs to look like uh, at every level of your pathway has to be the same. 20% is just the context that they do the 80% in. Yeah. So if I'm in children's or uh, I'm on a host team on Sunday morning, or I'm leading a connect group, you're going to want the leader to look the same. But yeah, there's still 20% that's the context of what they're doing they need to know how to do. So know your 80-20. Yeah. I remember, uh, Brent, when we, we were part of the first cohort with Parish Catalyst mm -hmm. that met out in California, yeah. and I think it was yeah. the second session or the third session. You, you 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 were piped in, and you you gave a talk, and we had been working yeah. at the leadership question for a couple of years at that point, but we had one of those da moments because you one of the first things you challenged us to do was actually to define leadership, and we realized we've been talking about this for years in our mm -hmm. parish. We never stopped to define it, and the other thing that you challenged us to do was to create a, a culture of apprenticeship and to and to begin mm -hmm. to look at pipelines and. That talk that you did, this is another key moment in the history of St. Benedict Parish where your input really impacted us because we were 
you know, able at that time to take that and run with it. We, we came up with a working definition of leadership that we began to communicate. We had been doing leadership summits at that point. So three, four times a year on a, on a Saturday morning, we gathered all of the leaders, the ministry leaders. They began to be more intentional about calling them to, to, have, to be apprenticing someone to actually uh, create a pipeline particular to their ministries, uh, identifying about three, four particular steps in developing people into their ministries and and inviting people to invite their team members to be apprenticing someone at every level of that. And I'd say after a couple of years of that, we had maybe a certain percentage, maybe 30, 40% of the the ministries were doing that incredibly well, uh, about maybe 30% of the parishes that were doing it kind of hit, hit or miss. And then, of course, there was always some that weren't doing it at all. But it was incredible. It Just the transformation and the excitement and the life that was brought about as people uh, really took ownership of, the, of their ministry and began to cast vision for, for their ministry and actually began to truly lead in a servant and a form of servant leadership as they began to support and call forth the people on their teams and, and, and mobilize. The, those leaders started to mobilize and equip the people in their teams to actually be leaders, not just doers of ministry, but leaders. And we began to see emerge, you know, even the parish staff were were not just leaders of ministry, they were leaders of leaders mm. of leaders of leaders of leaders of ministry. And that's what enabled this whole thing to really explode. Mm. Brent, we have uh, a, a number of parishes uh, and, and leaders of parishes that, that listen and watch uh, this podcast, and, and they'd all be in various stages. Some would be, um, some might be in fairly healthy places. Others are perhaps on a journey, and there's others that, frankly, would be struggling. What might be some of the advice you'd give those parishes and those leaders out there who might find themselves in a church right now that might be struggling? Wow, that's a tough question because every there might be various reasons why they're struggling. I think sometimes until you know. And I think that's why connecting with um, with you guys is such a good thing, because sometimes you just need a mirror held up a little bit and say, OK, here's where you're at. But here's here's what you could look like. Mm. And it allows you to figure out what what are the steps I need to take in the journey. The worst thing you can do is get discouraged and want to quit. Yeah. Um, but the second thing is you got to figure out, OK, how do I move from the state I'm in into a preferred future and having a coach? someone that can maybe has been farther along the journey with you. It could be a parish um, that's down the road that's farther ahead. You got to say, I need help. Can you help me be a mirror to me? Tell me what I'm not seeing. Let's work on some steps that'll help me move forward. Because it's it's really hard to, you know, the way I, I look at it sometimes, if somebody's really out of shape, you can tell them to get in shape all you want. But mm-hmm. there's a reason that they're not in shape. And there's probably some bad practices that have been happening and and they probably don't even know what those are. So, you know, if you hire a coach that's going to kind of help whip you into shape, they know kind of what you need to do to move from where you are. And so I think when you're stuck, find a good coach, someone that's ahead of you that you can spend time with, bounce ideas off, and they can give you some really good input on how to move forward. Brent, this time's actually flown by. But before we close it, I wanted to give you an opportunity to you. If there's anything else you wanted to share uh, with our audience. Gee, I have I have twenty four hours of content at any given time ready on this <laughs> my tongue, so it's hard to know what uh, what you'd like to to know. But uh, I do think I just close with probably just reiterating the things that I've said. A movement, a spiritual movement, only grows as fast as you develop the leaders uh, that can run and manage and lead and take new territory for you. 
And so I think if I was a church leader, I would say this, um, I want to become an expert at multiplying myself into the lives of people. The masses, remember Jesus said, the poor will always be with you. It was almost like the masses will always be, there'll always be more people to reach. But until you multiply yourself and become great at that, that's what leadership is about, is being a spiritual leader, is multiplying the number of people. So I would probably change the scorecard to say, tell me how many leaders you've developed in the last year. Mm. That's going to be the best example of that will determine the trajectory of where your ministry is going to go. Mm. Start somewhere, find someone, begin to apprentice them, uh, help multiply yourself in the lives of others. Brent, you're such a blessing. We thank you for your your time today. We thank you for your ministry to St. Benedict Parish, and, and of course now to parishes all over the world. We really appreciate you. Thank you. Great being with you. And so for, for those who, who joined us on this journey today, uh, if you're looking for, for coaching, uh, you know, you can obviously reach out to Brent, but also there's the, the Leadership Network uh, is, is one way. And so the Leadership Network link will be in the show notes. Uh, and that's what uh, Brent is connected to. And if you want to learn from, from our Divine Renovation team, you can check out the Divine Renovation Network at divinerenovation.net, where you can also explore whether coaching is right for you. And if, if you're not ready to step into coaching, there's a whole bunch of other resources and videos available to you there. And we look forward to being with you again next week. God bless.